You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us, Randy Blankstein. And he is the president of the Net Lease Advisory Firm, the Boulder Group, which is a boutique, you know, real estate investment um, service firm. And they specialize in mostly single tenant net lease properties. But a lot of his clients are multifamily investors and they've been in the commercial real estate industry for uh, a long, you know, a long time and they want to diversify. And there's a lot of different relationships between the, the multifamily um, investment you know, asset class and same thing with the single tenant net lease. So I want to welcome Randy to the show and we're going to talk about what a net lease is and what, you know, how he started his career and, and what he's focusing on now. So thanks for coming on, Randy. Um, thanks for having me, Anthony, and i um, glad to be here today. Sure. So Randy, so you've been around for, for a while. So can you kind of talk to us about, um, you know, your, um, your, confidence in the market, you know, the multifamily and the net lease market moving forward into 2021 versus, you know, over the past uh, 25 years? Sure. So, yes, I, I graduated college in 91 and have been in um, the commercial real estate business ever since, primarily on, you know, the single tenant net lease side. Um, so I'll let you pontificate as far as, you know, future multifamily, but let's talk about where kind of you know, net lease and multifamily overlap because they actually do as far as in investors' portfolios, um, you know, A and B. Um, your first question was, I'll quickly give you background as to how I got started, which is after, um, you know, my first career, I, I worked for an outsourced service provider that um, had AT&T as an exclusive account. AT&T owns a variety of service garages where the vehicles go at the end of the day that fix phone lines and cable lines and other things. Um, so we kind of ran that portfolio, which is an industrial portfolio in the Midwest. And, you know, we were trying to acquire the properties from third-party owners who owned it and were leasing it to us. Um, and most people won't sell because they thought, look, we can't go into, we can't sell this thing. We have a very low basis and, you know, to sell to AT&T would put me in a bad tax situation. So, um, you know, we can't sell it. I said, okay, I understand your situation. You know, do you know about 1031 exchanges, which is allows you to buy one asset and, and replace it with another without a capital gains event or delay it, the capital gains event, should I say? Um, and so they said, fine, um, you know, can you buy me something else? So, you know, we found them net lease properties, which were kind of Walgreens, CVS, Home Depot, McDonald's, Chick fil A, traditional, you know, retailers, long term leases, investment grade tenants. So we got them to move from AT&T properties into other properties, which is kind of how I got into this business. And then I left the firm I was working for in um, 1997 and have been you know, running a boutique investment brokerage ever since. So that's kind of how I got started into this sector. So um, kind of going to your second question, which is, you know, where's kind of the overlap between multifamily and net lease? Because I understand yes. you know, your audience is not primarily about net lease. Um, you know, net lease properties, since they're passive, which is, again, almost all single tenant buildings, primarily retail, but certainly office and industrial have a part as well. You know, FedEx, Amazon, you know, kind of anything that's single tenant and passive, <laughs> um, 
you know, is what we consider a net lease. And it's called a net lease because you have, you know, CAM operating and taxes being paid by the tenant. So it's really a financial investment and a passive investment by an investor. And, you know, our typical buyer is a um, high net worth owner. And most of the high net worth owners come from kind of multifamily, usually in the large cities who are, you know, heading towards retirement and kind of want to put their portfolio on hold or kind of wind down their active management, you know, buy some of these net lease properties and, and, you know, live in retirement. You know, they're also used as a um, kind of a parking vehicle from people who want to take advantage of a hot multifamily or other market and, you know, put their portfolio on hold, maybe work on a big project or a new development and, you know, don't want to pay taxes for the multifamily sale, but want to take some money off the table multifamily. So, you know, it's pretty much um, a conservative bond-like investment for the real estate world. So if you bought a 18-year lease Walgreens and you want to get back into multifamily three years later, you know, you sell a 15-year Walgreens, you can be pretty sure that valuations are pretty similar, that you protected your initial investment and you've gotten kind of that minor return in the meantime. And then, you know, you go sell with 15 years left and you go back into multifamily with it. So, you know, a lot of people use it as that kind of parking vehicle. And then, you know, a lot of people just have a blended portfolio where, look, you know, net lease is equivalent to, on the if you look at it like on the equity side, you know, net lease is the bond portion of your portfolio and maybe multifamily or land speculation or other things with higher yield are the stock value of your portfolio. So, you know, I would think most people own it in combination. No, and that makes a lot of sense. Can you can you talk about the the parking vehicle a little bit more? Because that's some a little, I wouldn't say a new concept that I've heard of, but I guess from a you know another asset class investor, let's say multifamily as an example, just using it to, to park and you know while they are developing you know a project or raising capital and it's taking some time. Um, can you talk about the one thing that I would think of is transactional costs? You know, like you said. 18-year Walgreens versus 15-year, depending upon where interest rates are, you know, three years later, if they're, if they're higher or, you know, even if they're lower, is it it's still worth it for that multifamily investor or whatever the other investor is, you know, when they want to move on the other project to, to sell because of the high transactional costs, you know, we're talking broker fees and, you know, potential capital gains. Um, so I guess what's your thoughts on that? Well, look, transaction fees are a lot less on net lease than they are in multifamily. Again, I can't speak to multifamily kind of, um, you know, brokerage fees, et cetera, but, you know, net lease commission rates range from kind of, um, you know, one to 4% on average, um, most being around the two to 3% mark. Again, because it's such a passive vehicle and kind of a, you know, not not a lot of in-depth analysis that is required you know, typically, you know, commission fees are much lower than I've seen in other parts of commercial real estate. You know, you don't have to underwrite properties. There's not an Argus model. There's, yeah. there's a lot, you know, it's a much more simplistic kind of analysis. And and again, more commodity-like in, in a bond sense, you know, a 15-year Walgreens, like another 15-year Walgreens, clearly you have to differentiate between, you know, location and a few other, other variables, but it's not nearly as complicated as underwriting, you know, a 20-story, um, office building or, or another type of vehicle. So, um, you know, that's kind of a thing as far as lower transaction costs. So it's really not as bad as you would think. Um, and then B, you know, I think, you know, for parking, how people have used it mostly today is that we have a lot of people with 
concentrations in certain markets. And let's stay with multifamily because that's obviously the business you're in. Um, so they're, they own, you know, 18 buildings in Los Angeles multifamily. You know, some people are no longer comfortable with Los Angeles or whatever market they happen to be in. And their attitude is, look, I need to, you know, slowly over a period of time, you know, I want to concentrate so that Los Angeles is no more than 50% of my portfolio. So, you know, again, they start buying, um, you know, net lease, they want to take advantage of cap rates today and, and kind of move this thing along. And, you know, you go start buying, again, a Home Depot or a Walgreens or Chick-fil-A, whatever you have in the net lease world. And, you know, as you start selling your multifamily, so you build up a half net lease portfolio, 50% still being, you know, your Los Angeles-based multifamily. And then you start diversifying into other markets where you think the growth is, whether it's, you know, Austin, Charlotte, Nashville, et cetera. You know, a lot of people are looking for geographic diversification at the moment. And that's how most people are using that lease as a parking vehicle as they, you know, they don't want to sell obviously all their 18 properties at once, nor are they looking to completely leave a market. They're looking to transition into diversification. And I think, you know, you see this a lot in New York, Chicago, LA, most of, a lot of these major markets where, you know, you've built the local multifamily portfolio, which is fairly large, but now you think uh, for tax and other reasons, there's a lot of value in diversification. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially given, you know, the state of, it depends upon where you are in the country, but given where cap rates are, and you know, where, where prices are, and we kind of have seen not really a drop off in apartment demand and, you know, limited supply. So, you know, it kind of makes sense to just look at your risk adjusted returns and, you know, potentially just, you know, write out your net lease. Or like you said, once, you know, if it's more of a generational um, client of yours that built up a multifamily portfolio and, you know, maybe they're getting <laughs> up in age and kind of want to, you know, still get the tax benefits and, you know, still want to own real estate, but a little bit more, a lot more passively, um, then at least is a good, good, good place to be. Um, have you come across situations? Of what Are you usually selling? Um, can you talk about what a, what a credit tenant is versus a non-credit tenant and how maybe in the net lease world, the yields can be different? Sure. So, you know, Standard & Poor's, S&P, you know, issues investment grade ratings of major companies, that's usually public companies. Um, and things, you know, the rating starts at AAA, AA, single A, triple B. Those are all considered investment grade. And then things below that are, are you know, single B, double B, and triple C, which is um, not very good, um, are, you know, speculative credit, which is, you know, um, a little bit riskier on the credit scale. Um, so, you know, at your high end would be, um, you know, historically companies like GE and some of the major pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, on the very high end. And then, you know, on the lower end would be like, um, you know, retailers which aren't doing so well, like a, like a Petco or Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, a little bit lower down the credit scale. Um, right. So, you know, obviously if you're, if you're investing in a higher credit, which is, you know, a Walmart, for instance, <laughs> um, you know, certainly you pay a, a lot less and a new 20 year Walmart property is, is around a five cap. Um, whereas if you start going, you know, more towards a speculative grade, depending on how far you go, I mean, you can go all the way to, you know, at this point in the, in the, <laughs> in the world, you know, I think, uh, you know, movie theaters is probably the lowest credit <laughs> around mm -hmm. based, based on COVID and, and kind of recent things. Um, you know, and those things are, are closer to an A cap um, mm. for similar long-term leases. I mean, obviously people have a lot different, you know, valuations on the, you know, both the sustainability of the tenant and B 
obviously lenders look at the credit of the tenant for the financing. So, hmm. you know, ultimately it's a cash on cash business and people are trying to play the spread between, you know, what financing is today and what, and what cap rate they're buying at. And, you know, we're at historic lows in cap rates as of last quarter, you know, because a interest rates obviously are, are, are down and B you kind of had a bifurcated market with COVID where everybody got a little bit more conservative and wanted to, you know, chase down investment grade tenants and people with, you know, strong business models during COVID. And likewise, you know, people are, you know, have steered clear of, of things with more risk, like, you know, gyms and movie theaters obviously have, have not fared as well during COVID. So, um, you know, buyers have, have bifurcated to, you know, sticking to the highest quality product at this point, which is what you typically see when there's an event, people, have, there's a flight to quality and this time is no different. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so can you, can you talk about most of the, you mentioned Walgreens, uh, Rite Aid is another one that I've seen. I see a lot of Rite Aids, uh, CVS's. Uh, what's, what's another one that's typically most commonly traded in the single tenant at least uh, world? Um, so 7-Elevens are, are fairly commonly traded. Um, dollar stores, which is Dollar General, Family Dollar are pretty common. Um, QSR or fast food, you know, there's a lot of McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, <laughs> you know, Olive Garden, uh, things of that nature. Certainly drugstores are a big se a segment, Rite Aid, CVS, Walgreens. You know, Big Box is Home Depot's Lowe's. Um, Walmart, Costco, Target are all kind of names that get traded often. Um, so it, it kind of runs the gamut. And then on the industrial side, it's, it's more Amazon and um, FedEx. Um, and on the office side, I mean, there's a variety of tenants which have Kind of office net lease deals and, and i think you also see a lot of gas stations like you know from wawa to circle k um you know the phone you know phone retailers you know t-mobile at&t's um verizon are all out there and you know a lot of casual dining change and a lot of grocery stores aldi whole foods trader joe's these are all kind of bread and butter net lease tenants right are you are you selling any industrial net least or like what's the breakout between retail office and industrial for you? Well, as far as number of properties in the market as a whole, retail is 65%, um, you know, an office and industrial kind of split of the remainder. But if you look at dollar volume, it's much more even because the office and industrial properties tend to be a lot larger. I mean, you can see again, you know, the Amazon distribution facilities are, are fairly large and FedEx as well. So, um, you know, retailers, because obviously, you know, there's, you know, hundreds and thousands of locations like a Walgreens versus, you know, an Amazon has, you know, maybe, maybe in one location in every major metro. Um, so there's clearly a ton more retail properties. So again, they get talked about more, even though the volume dollar wise is fairly even between the three, the three categories. Got it. That makes the most sense. Do you deal with any medical as well? Are there any medical single tenant Property. There, there is some medical. They tend to be in, um, you know, urgent care, which is a, you know, a newer sector, um, and dialysis, like Fresenia and Davidis are, are categories. And then you see some satellite offices from, um, you know, larger healthcare systems in, in, in markets. Um, and I think you're going to see more satellite offices in the future. And again, you know, you're going to, we think that, you know, as more smaller, you know, doctor chains and doctor groups get kind of bought to these larger groups. Um, you know, it's obviously an expanding sector of the Netlist market. And, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot more kind of non-mothership major hospital medical facilities. Um, you know, so that's medical is clearly, you know, a growing market that a lot of people are, 
are looking at. Oh, that's excellent. And so how can people find you, Randy? How can people learn more about you and your company? Want to connect with you? Um, the best way to find me is, is, is LinkedIn for just Randy Blankstein, or you can go to Boulder Group's website, which is bouldergroup.com and look at the contact us page and, and kind of all the information is there. Great. Excellent. Uh, so I would encourage all my listeners to, if they want to learn more about single tenant net lease to reach out to Randy. Um, I'll also put a link to his uh, LinkedIn um, as well as uh, his email in the description on social media, as well on iTunes. So you can reach out to him directly um, if you want to learn more. What's your email, Randy? Randy at bouldergroup.com. Perfect. So we'll put that in there for sure. And like I said, if you guys, if everybody liked what they heard today, if you could give us a rating and review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it as it helps Randy and my message get out to a greater audience. That's just the way uh, iTunes works. So uh, Randy, I want uh, to thank you again for coming on the show and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again uh, soon. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Uh, big fan and um, wish you well for the rest of the year. You too. Thanks again. Thanks.